I think for both of us, as we went through that, as hard as it was, my gosh, we learned so much. And we, we learned and came to understand there's some things we're not going to get the answer to on this side of heaven. But man, there's no question in our lives as we sit here today in front of you that you can trust the God of the universe. Do you need a spiritual spark? Are you feeling run down or run over? Are you ready to eliminate the spiritual ups and downs? This is Fresh Faith in Real Life. Let's restore life in your walk with Christ. We'll dive into our featured guest interviews, biblical devotional thoughts, answers to your questions, and more. Your walk with Christ isn't meant to be a performance. It's all about relationship. Let's get to know Jesus and experience fresh faith in real life. Here's John Fugler. Welcome to episode number 16, and here's what's coming up. When Cancer Strikes, the gut-wrenching story of a former Major League pitcher and his wife. The transforming power of God's Word. Training for joy. How do we do that? How God takes your darkest seasons and turns them around. Comfort food? Well, our listeners share their favorite comfort verses. This is Fresh Faith in Real Life, a ministry of Fresh Faith 24-7. And I'm John Fugler. I'm on the exit ramp of the Performance Christianity Highway, an author of a devotional series called Your Life with God. I'm a husband, a father, and grandfather of eight. And most importantly, though, I want to know Jesus more each day. Paul said, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I'm also the CEO of Fresh Faith 24-7, where we lead you on a path to freedom in your walk with Christ. Make sure you pick up the freebie we have going right now. It's the 21-Day Fresh Faith Experience. You'll find 21 days of short devotional thoughts, as well as some time of reflection. It's a journal as well. And we go through seven areas of the Christian life and send you on Jesus. It's a great way to jumpstart your devotions in the morning and get you into the habit, the 21-Day Fresh Faith Experience. And you know what? You don't have to wait for it to show up in the mail. You get it digitally. You just go to the, our website, that is freshfaith247.com, and click on 21 Day, or you just click the uh, link in the show notes, and you got it. It's the 21 Day Fresh Faith Experience. It's free, and it's for you. Last week's episode was about fasting. Yep, and uh, hopefully you uh, got a lot of out of that, maybe even this week started a fast or did a, a short fast or something. Tim Epling last week sure shared with us some, some things that really made us think and drove us to the word, God's principles, and, and shared with us how it can have an impact, a difference, make a difference in our walk with Christ and that intimate relationship with him. Go listen to that. And I would ask you to do me a favor. Would you please share this podcast, Fresh Faith in Real Life? Would you do that? Just click the share button on your podcast app and send that to your friends. Have them listen in. Uh, don't just keep it to yourself. So share the podcast. That's how we get the word out. In this week's episode, we're going to talk about cancer. Because this disease has invaded the lives of so many of our listeners, maybe even you. Uh, my wife has a cancer story. I should say we have a cancer story, really, because we never really go through it alone. If we have somebody coming alongside of us, well, hopefully we don't go through it alone. That's so important. But she's got a cancer story. We have a cancer story. And I remember when 
we got the word and we were in the doctor's office and he said, you have cancer. I was there in shock. Um, Nuni tells the story of how immediately in her mind, she pictured a wipe off board with all the plans that she had on the board for her life for the year. And that God just wiped those clean off the board And she says it went from my agenda to God's agenda. That God had suddenly stepped in and he had a different agenda for that year. And she was willing to follow that. I mean, that is amazing. We all respond in different ways. I didn't respond as well. Nuni's also a potter. Uh, She has a website called NuniBells.com. And you can go there and see some of her work. And in the garage, she's got the the potter's wheel. We have a kiln in the garage, too. And I, I just see in there shaping the clay. She does bells, celebratory bells, personalized bells. She's got mugs and other dishes and things, too. But she shapes the clay. And I, I can't do that. <laughs> she does it so well. And then you know what she does? She takes those pieces of clay after they've dried, and she puts them in the kiln. And she fires them. And then she fires them again. Yeah, two firings in that kiln. She glazes them in between. And it it's a picture that our guests today have gone through. They've gone through a, a kiln firing. Not once, but twice. Uh, their cancer story was front and center when they went through it for the whole world to see. But But in reality, there was so much that went on in private that no one knew. And today they open up about that. Uh, cancer tests our relationship with God, doesn't it? If you or someone you know is going through cancer right now, this interview we have coming up will help you, will help them in this traumatic time. I use the word traumatic because it's that's what it was for me as the caregiver. It was trauma. As I mentioned, Nuni did much better than I did. We all respond differently. As we prepare for this interview, I'd like to share a few things about preparing for times when life hits you hard, whether it's cancer or some other traumatic season. And we're all going to be there at some point. And can I share this verse from, from James 1, 2? Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And I don't want to be flippant here, but just saying, oh, just just be joyful. Just be joyful. You've got cancer. You're going through suffering. You're going through pain. No. And I'm the first one to tell you I'm a wimp when I get sick. I complain and I just want to be left alone. And Nuni, again, I just put her up there because she never complains. Even during her cancer treatment, she never once complained. She had a good reason to complain, but always remained positive. God just empowered her in a special way. She had that intimate relationship with the Lord. She's she's come through that. She's recovered. It's fantastic. And even on the hardest days during chemo and all the side effects, she remained steady. And that's not easy. It's not easy. It's not easy to stay joyful when you're in sickness, when you're in pain. And it's impossible, really, in our own power. We can't do it. It's a time when we need the Holy Spirit to lift us above the circumstances. I think that pain and sickness test our depth of joy. We're going to find out more from our guests today about that. If we're experiencing the joy of the Lord, truly truly experiencing it deep inside, before we go through the pain, before we go through the trauma, 
then it will help when we're down and out. I use the phrase train for pain, train for pain. Uh, Don't wait for pain or sickness to hit, to try to come up and conjure up some, some joy. Well, I think what we need to do is cultivate joy in our relationship with God before that trauma, that pain hits. We'll be better equipped. We'll be, we'll be trained. I think there's some things we can do to train for joy, train for pain, I should say. I call it joy training. And let me just share three things as we get ready for this interview. Just think about this. The first thing we can do is praise God. Praise should be a daily practice that builds an attitude of joy in our lives. And I would suggest choosing a few psalms that are centered on praise, to read them and read them aloud, pray them to God. It'll uplift your heart. That's what it did for the psalmist. Uh, Imagine an underground river running below the deserts. Plants are thriving in the sand above because they've they've tapped into the life-giving water below. So even in a desert, we see plants. And praising God each day creates that river of life running below the surface of our hearts. So praise God. Practice that, that attitude, that, that praising of the Lord so that when the trauma comes, we, we have that foundation. And then secondly, in this training time, thank God. Praise God from who all blessings flow is the beginning of a song our family sings when we get together. And even our, our little grandkids sing it. They know it. And we want to recount God's blessings instead of letting them pass through our lives unnoticed. So praise God from whom all blessings flow. Count those blessings. Spend a few minutes thanking God. Uh, Lead with the eternal when you're thanking God. Thank him for his salvation, for, for Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, our righteousness before Christ. Uh, thank him for being a child of God. Paul says it this way. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We find that in Ephesians 1.3. So so praise God and thank God. They're they're very close. They're cousins, you know, the praise and the thanks. They're, They're cousins. And then third, ask God. Because he invites you to approach him about anything. He seeks an intimate relationship with you that has no secrets. Anything. You can bring anything to God which will help in times of trauma, of pain, when you especially need to bring your your thoughts, your feelings, your fears to the Lord. So practice asking God without any hidden thoughts or desires. No shame. He knows what's on your heart already, so tell him. Ask him anything. When you have transparency before God, your relationship is so close that when pain and sickness come, you can cry out to him as your Abba Father. So praise God, thank God, ask God. Do these things now. This is what we call joy training. Uh, It prepares our hearts, prepares our relationship with God for whatever trial is ahead. With those thoughts in mind, let's go into our interview, and I want to introduce our guests. You know, baseball season should be here, but as I'm recording this, it's not. The players are still locked out, spring training pushed back. Maybe it's all done by now, but 
<laughs> right now it's it's not. And I love baseball, so I thought I'd bring baseball to you. And the reason I'm doing that is because our guests are very baseball. Uh, a friend of mine recently gave me a book called Do Not Lose Heart. And it was written by friends of mine, a couple that I had lost touch with for the past two decades. And when I read their book, I immediately thought, I need to get them on this podcast. And you'll see why when you hear the interview. God's done an amazing work in and through this couple. They went through some of the darkest times during their battle with cancer, and the Lord met them in an amazing way. It wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. You might know the name Dave Dravecki, a stellar Major League Baseball pitcher whose story gripped the sports world over three decades ago. And I won't tell you his story here because he does a much better job in the interview, so I'll let him do that. When it comes to knowing Christ, and, and that's what we're all about here at Fresh Faith 24-7, Dave and his wife Jan have developed such an intimate relationship with our Savior, but they had to go through a lot to get there. And now the Dravecki's work tirelessly providing hope and encouragement for men, women, and children going through cancer and other diseases that cause pain and suffering. Their ministry is rightly called Endurance. Endurance. So let's get to know Dave and Jan Dravecki. It is so good to have you two on the show. I, this is a treat for me. Dave and Jan Dravecki, we're reconnecting after I think a couple decades or more of seeing each other. Dave, I think I saw you speak about 20 years ago. I may have gone up afterwards, but it was like over 30 years ago that uh, we, we spent some time together. You probably don't remember this, but it was a Father's Day. You were pitching for the Padres back then, and my dad and I went to a game, and you were pitching. And I was up over the bullpen. You're not going to remember it, but I do. Uh, <laughs> I was up over the bullpen, and you're down there warming up for the game. And I yelled down to you, Dave, hey, Dave. And you turn, who's yelling at me from up above? And I said, it's John Fugler. And you actually turned around and waved to me and said, hi, John. And so... <laughs> Who in the world <laughs> does that to a major league pitcher while he's warming up? Don't try that at home, folks, or any stadium in America. With it, this is not good to interrupt. So, but Dave and Jan, thank you for joining us. It's our pleasure. It really is, John. Yes. And by the way, um, I never, I never had any issues with people interfering with me while I was getting ready for the game um, or in the clubhouse. I never had a game face on. Um, when it was time to play ball and I went between the white lines, then I was ready to play. So you weren't interfering in anything. Okay, well, um, thanks. Be able to stop and say hello. That's the least I could do. <laughs> I've been carrying the guilt around for, for about 35, 40 years. So um, now I feel better. <laughs> You've been set free. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're talking about one of the things we're talking about in this uh, time together is, is being set free. And you've got an amazing story. Both of you went through an ordeal. I wouldn't call it an event. I would call it more of a season. I, I use the word ordeal because it was over a period of time that um, it was just heart-wrenching, heart-wrenching ordeal over 30 years ago. Maybe bring our, our listeners into that, that picture. Yeah, it, it, it really started when I was traded from the San Diego Padres to the San Francisco Giants. Obviously, I'd seen my boyhood dream come true made it to the big leagues, which was amazing in and of itself. Um, played four and a half years with the Padres, almost five. And then I get traded to the Giants and in the second half of 1987, and I pitch extremely well. And things were going really good um, for me personally and for the Giants as a team. We went into postseason play that year. 
And I ended up pitching two of the best games of my career against the Cardinals in postseason play in 1987. Um, in 1988, Roger Craig, um, out of spring training, said that I was going to be the number one starter for the Giants, which was a huge honor for me. So I was given the ball on opening day against the Los Angeles Dodgers in Chavez Ravine facing Fernando Valenzuela. Wow. And, and I mean, you couldn't have painted a better picture. And so it was a, it was an electric day. Um, I pitched extremely well um, through a complete game. We won five to one. And on top of that, I hit a double off of Fernando, which I was really <laughs> proud of, you know? So, um, and as you know, pitchers, even though this next year, we're not going to have pitchers hit anymore. Um, the reality for me was that I loved having a bat in my hand. So that was pretty special. But uh, from there, I started to have issues with my arm that were totally unrelated to the cancer. But by the end of 1988, this small lump that had developed on the outside of my arm now had grown to half the size of golf ball. And Jan and I were in an examining room at the Cleveland Clinic because um, we had moved back to Ohio during that period of time where we were both born and raised. And uh, I was waiting for the doctors to come to the examining room, uh, the waiting room to uh, let us know what was going on. And we were sitting there waiting for them and, and the door was opened just a little ways. And all of a sudden we heard the docs come up and they put the films up underneath the lights one more time to confirm what they were going to say to us when they came into the room. Unfortunately, we heard the conversation. And in that conversation, we heard the word cancer. And I'll never forget looking at Jan and going, gosh, what do we do? And, and I just said, we need to pray. And in that moment, I just, you know, I, I don't wax eloquently. So I just said a simple prayer. You know, God, I have no idea what's going on and what we're about to face, but whatever it is, give us the strength to endure. That's all I ask. Mm. They came in and they confirmed that in fact, um, we had been diagnosed with cancer because cancer is not just an individual thing. And, um, you know, when I heard, I like what you say about that, that we've been diagnosed and yeah. How'd you feel Jan at that time, Dave led you in prayer. And when you got the news, um, my mind went, was different. My mindset was different than Dave's. Um, I was hearing the more positive side of it. (laughs) And one of the things the doctor said was that they would have to remove his, um, about 50% of his deltoid muscle and that afterwards he would never be able to pitch again. Yeah. And I I think that the thing for me, that's what I heard. Yeah. And in my moment, I, I didn't actually hear anything because after I heard the word cancer, Um, I went to a totally different place, even though I was there physically. And all that went through my mind was, oh my gosh, if I die from this disease, who is going to marry my wife? Wow! (laughs) And then I thought, and that, and that individual is going to help her raise my kids. Will he love my wife and my children as much as I do? But then John, what came into my mind was, oh my gosh, I know who I am. Will he love them more than I do? And that was a really scary thought. And all of a sudden, God was using that moment to kind of roll everything into perspective for me. Because up until that point, life was all about Dave. And, you know, I was always in the spotlight. She was always in the shadows. And and now all of a sudden, you know, I'm 
faced with cancer and my mortality at 31, 32 years of age. So that was all in that, in that doctor's office running through your head. Wow. Within seconds, within seconds. And then I came back to reality and I heard my wife say this, could you please say that again, doctor? And he said, outside of a miracle, Dave will never pitch again. And she asked him one more time, which was the third time he repeated it. And then he said, all I'm hoping for is that he'll be able to play catch with his son in the backyard. And that was it. And when I heard those words, my thought was, and this is how weird this, this whole event was in a matter of minutes. I thought, well, that may be what you say, but that's not what God says. You and said I, that? Yeah, to myself. Okay. I didn't say that to him. I would never say that to him because I respected what he was about to do and who he was and what was going to happen. But I thought, you know, God, that's what the medical world says. But you're, if you really are in control of this story, that I don't know what you have in store for me. So, you know, it was almost as though in my mind and in my heart, I was saying, okay, let's go. So what was the process from there? What, what happened? Well, I went into surgery on our 10th wedding anniversary. Oh, great and memory. Yeah, I know. <laughs> 10 hours of surgery. 10 and a half hours of surgery. <laughs> <laughs> and then came out of surgery and was in tremendous pain as I started to recover in the uh, recovery recover. room. And, and, and they're wondering where the pain is coming from because I shouldn't have pain. And the doctor leans up to me and he's pressing all around me. He's, Dave, is your arm hurting? I said, no, no. And he kept pressing my body everywhere. And no pain, no pain. Then he hit my right quad and I screamed. And, and he goes, oh my gosh. He says, I, I heard him leave and he was talking to the nurses and the doctors. And he goes, you know what? We need to get him back in for surgery. And with that, he leans over and he says, we're going to take you in for more surgery to correct this. Um, and I said, look, I don't, whatever you do, just put me out so I don't feel this because it hurt that bad. And I went in for a fasciotomy and I almost lost my right leg because while I was laying in surgery for 10 and a half hours, they forgot to move me on the beanbag that I was laying on. And the beanbag was too short and it was cutting off the flow of blood into my leg. When they took me off the bed and moved me into the gurney to take me into recovery, the blood rushed into my quad and it was like it was going to explode. And so fortunately, I mean, and, and John, I never talk about this. <laughs> this is so bizarre <laughs> because, because what most people don't know is that I not only was rehabbing from having 50% of my deltoid muscle removed and losing 95% use of that muscle, I was also at the same time rehabbing a right leg that is slid open about eight inches to relieve the pressure from what was going on inside because of the blood flow that had rushed into my quad. So that, that's, that's hard to even, even imagine. Um, so you're pretty much a wreck when they yep. get you back uh -huh. the second time. Um, and Jan, you're feeling at this point. <laughs> I wanted him to accept the reality that his career was over 
and that um, and that we could go on and have a normal life um, outside of baseball. So I was looking forward to that. But at the same time, he was determined that he was going to make a comeback, or at least that he had to try. And he continued to amaze me on his road to recovery because six weeks after surgery, he was able to reach behind and pull his wallet out of his back pocket. And then he showed me how he went through his pitching motion with absolutely no change in his pitching motion without a deltoid muscle. So I was just in amazement at that point. And three months after surgery, you were, oh, you were raising, well, no, 13 days after surgery, you were raising your arm above your head. And then three months after surgery, you were able to um, start throwing a football. And five months yeah. after surgery, you started throwing a baseball. So you were seeing miraculous things happen. Yeah. And yeah. so I, even though I believed the doctor, I, I just. We were like, we were looking at each other and going, I'll never forget, John, one day I came home. And I had come back from therapy in Ohio and we were in my mom and dad's house. And I remembered um, looking at her and saying, Hey, watch this. And I stepped back and I went into my throwing delivery and she goes, Oh my gosh, you actually just pretended you were throwing a baseball with your delivery. I said, I know this is nuts. (laughs) I'm not supposed to be doing this stuff. And so fast forward. And obviously there were some roadblocks along the way. Yeah. I mean, figuratively speaking, I ended up getting a bloody nose a couple of times because, hmm. you know, you'd hit the wall and then you'd feel frustrated and you'd bounce back and you'd just, you know, you push a little forward a little bit more. And the beauty of the beauty of the 10 months of rehab was that not only did I have her and family who were encouraging me, but, you know, some of my closest buds on the team, Atlee Hammaker, um, Scotty Gereltz, um, others, would stay in touch with me and just encourage me to keep pressing forward, keep moving forward. You know, as long as you're not feeling pain, um, you know, just keep taking small steps. Don't worry about it. And we'll see what happens. And, you know, and by the time I got to San Francisco, um, I'll never forget the first day I saw my teammates. They all looked at me like, Oh my gosh, what in the world is going on? So spring training, in other words, or. Yeah, it was it spring. Wasn't spring training. No, we it was regular to, season. Was, yeah, okay. we didn't join them till regular. Yeah, season. it was probably somewhere around June, May or June, that I think we joined them, and uh, and from there, uh, you know, all of a sudden, I found myself throwing bullpens, to throwing simulated games, to now all of a sudden being told I'm going to be going to the minor leagues to pitch in the minor leagues, and uh, in the minor leagues, I threw three games. Completed all three games. What year was this? This is 1989. Okay. Won all three games and pitched within my pitch limit, pitch number. So the first game was a seven-inning doubleheader. I threw a complete seven-inning game and threw 76 pitches. Um, The second game, I was given a 100-pitch limit. I threw nine innings. We won through a complete game and threw 96 pitches. The final game, they didn't give me a pitch count. We won three to two, went nine innings and threw less than 100 pitches in that game. Um, So now all of a sudden, you know, I'm ready to go and I get the call and I'm going to the big leagues. 
Wow. And getting ready to pitch. And, and you get called up for the second time. <laughs> you get called up for the second time. August 10th, 1989, John was absolutely amazing. It was a beautiful day. Um, I mean, Jan and I were overwhelmed. We were just like, you know, God, what are you doing in this story? This is incredible. Nobody's expected this. To be honest with you, we didn't expect it. And here we are. And, and it was an absolutely amazing day. Mm. Mm. And um, so you wrote the book, Come Back, mm-hmm. and that's uh, that story. Now, is that the year when, um, when, your, when your career ended? Yes. So okay. five, days, five days later, after beating the Cincinnati Reds on August 10th, 1989, August 15th, 1989, we were in Montreal, and I was pitching against the Expos. I was in the sixth inning. Things were going well. We were winning. I had had a little bit of trouble, base hit, um, hit batsman, but I still was feeling okay and just needed to get focused again. And I was facing Tim Raines, Hall of Famer, and I threw a fastball to Tim and my left arm snapped in half. Ugh. And I went falling to the ground. And, and needless to say, from that point forward, um, I had to reti- announce my retirement and then continued to battle with the reoccurrence of the cancer with uh, more surgeries, two more surgeries, two different kinds of radiation therapy, um, a staph infection that lasted for 10 months. And then finally on uh, June 18th of 1991 was when they amputated the left arm and the shoulder. And, uh, and at that point, I thought that I was finally set free from that period um, following the 1989 season all the way up to 1991, because those were uh, several years from hell, to be honest with you. Mm. It was just a really difficult time, a lot of struggle spiritually, emotionally, physically, um, relationally. It was just really hard. Can you uh, tell us about that? I mean, you went from that euphoric moment of making that, that comeback and living your dream twice to all of it come literally crashing down. I mean, breaking your arm. I just, I've seen the videos of that and it's, uh, it's, it's truly just, it's painful to watch. So when you think about the physical aspect of that and the emotional aspect of it, now you're saying you entered into a dark time. What, what did you go through in this whole cancer experience? Well, I think, I think there were several things that happened when I think of words, I think initially of denial Um, And the denial was more around what was going on emotionally in me. Um, It was a a depression that I was denying. In the middle of that, Jan was going through a very difficult time because we had so many people reach out to us and encourage us through the mail. And there was was this desire to respond back to everyone. Mm. And, And we're not talking just a few hundred people. We were talking like thousands of people. And so that burden, not only to respond back to all those people that Jan carried, along with the burden of me and my situation, along with the burden of parenting our children um, during that time, and and then losing her father, um, which was her her final parent, because her mom died um, when I got called up to the big leagues. Um, She came to a game to watch me pitch in Cincinnati had a massive heart attack in the, in the stadium and died no. watching, me, watching me pitch. Oh. And so 
Now you fast forward that to her father passing during the World Series of 89. And you add all the other stuff on that through the next couple of years. And it's a wonder she was even able to survive during that time because she was extremely depressed and in a very dark place. And I was so I was in denial of my own depression. So, Jen, was, how, how yeah. during that time, that that dark place and the depression, I mean, where was God in all of this, according to you at, at that time? Yeah, you know, um, at first we were able we we often say we didn't suffer pretty. Um, at first, you were Dave was able to suffer pretty at first. But when your pain goes from days to weeks to months to years, um, eventually what, the darkness that's on the inside will rise to the surface and expose itself. So, and that was our experience. For me, it was fear and um, fear of loss of control of life. And then also to um, resulting in a deep, dark depression. And for Dave, it was um, anger. And um, he had struggled with anger as a youth, but when he came to know Christ, I no longer saw it. But um, during that time, it was very trying and he was brought to the end of himself. And, and so he expressed anger a lot and I would take that on. So it, it wasn't a pretty sight, but the one thing that I was able to do, which I'm thankful for, was I turned to the word of God, because even though I couldn't feel or sense God, um, I had his word that I couldn't deny, and um, it was tangible, and I could read it, and I would, so I turned to God, I turned to God for all the questions that I that I had for him because I had so many well-meaning Christians um, trying to fix us, trying to fix us, <laughs> trying to shame us out of our depression mm -hmm. <laughs> and our ugliness. Um, and so, and we also had um, the people that would come to us and, and say, you know, you just need more faith or you have sin in your life. That's the reason why you're suffering. And I mean, we were 30, 33 years old at that time. And um, no one else had, you know, our age was experiencing what we were experiencing. So we had none of our peers that we could go to. And no one came alongside of us at that for that season, for a season of a year no one came alongside and said, you know, I've been there. I've been depressed. Um, and you will make it to the other side. Um, so my depression, I felt great shame with the depression. But then I went to the scripture and I read about a whole lot of people that experienced like depression. David. <laughs> yes. You know, before oh, she lived in the songs. I John. lived in the songs because. <laughs> You know, before I experienced depression, it's funny, I wondered why God would put all that whining that David made in the scripture. And I can't tell you how thankful I was when I went through depression to know that a man after God's own heart would, you know, had experienced the same thing I was experiencing or Elijah, that he wanted to take his life 
because after such a great spiritual victory. So, um, and the, um, the questions on healing and suffering. And, you know, I had many people that came to us and said, um, God doesn't intend for you to suffer. Well, when you read the scripture, scripture's full of warnings that we will have have suffering in our lives, but take heart, you know, I have overcome the world. So I love what you say in your book here. Let me, uh, I'm going to quote you. You're talking about this. And just the other night I was reading through this again, and I highlighted this paragraph. Um, Few things make Jan and me angrier than the reality denying speeches that go something like this. Oh, praise the Lord. I'm going through this. Praise the Lord for this pain. That may sound spiritual, but it's not. It's false. Suffering is not a pleasant thing. To limp around with a fake smile on our lips and saccharine words on our tongues does a terrible disservice to the gospel. If pain itself were so great, why is God going to do away with it in heaven? No, it's not pain for which we are to be joyful, but the good results that it can produce in us. To deny the pain and suffering and the agony is to lie and to cease living in the truth, and neither, and that neither honors God nor helps us. That is powerful. Yeah. Yeah, those are, you know, and I think, I think for us, John, what was so critical um, along with Jan diving into the word, because to be honest with you, there were times when I was really struggling where she would sit and just read it to me because I had no desire to do much of anything during that time, especially through the physical stuff. But one of the things we're grateful for looking back um, were the pastors and the teachers in our life over those six years where the soil was tilled and where we grew spiritually. And, and even though um, there was so much more to learn and to understand, and obviously we did through the pain and the suffering, that teaching laid the groundwork yeah. for us to be able to enter into this space, this season of life, and to ask the questions and, and not to be, even though there was the guilt and the shame that people tried to impose upon us, and there was frustration over that, we didn't lose sight of the fact that his word is true and, and we could go there and we could find the comfort, we could find the strength to endure. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in reality, go to people that we trusted when we did have questions who could guide us through this with compassion and grace and gentleness and love and understanding. And, and when those people entered into our story during this season, um, we, were then be able, we, were, we would then be able to experience the comfort that we would be, need during that difficult time. And so I think for both of us, as we went through that, as hard as it was, my gosh, we learned so much. And we, we learned and came to understand there's some things we're not going to get the answer to on this side of heaven, but man, there's no question in our lives as we sit here today in front of you, um, that, um, you can trust the God of the universe with your story. There's no question about that. Speak to the person who is watching a friend go through cancer or go through suffering. You were missing something from the Christian community for two years or more. I mean, how would you, 
what are we supposed to do and what are we supposed to say? I mean, you're speaking to me and I'm trying to be a, a better friend and come alongside someone. But I, quite frankly, we I don't think we know what to say or what to do. So coach us right now, because I think we all know someone who's suffering. We all know someone who's going through cancer, someone living in pain. How are we supposed to act and what are we supposed to say? Um, I'd like to share a story in relationship to answering your question. Um, it's about a man by the name of Wayne Daru, who was a colonel in the um, military, and he oversaw the missile silos in Minot um, up in the Dakotas. And he had retired and moved back to Colorado Springs, and he lived in the same neighborhood where we had our offices for our ministry, um, Endurance. And I'll never forget, he came to volunteer. And we wanted to put together a video that would reflect people's journeys, but the hope in their story through that journey. And so we asked Wayne if he wouldn't mind participating. And at the time, he was doing well. And when it came time for us to pull everything together and get the film crew out and to do the videotaping and all that, he had relapsed and his cancer had come out of remission and he was now dying. And we had, a, we had a chance before that happened to get in front of him. And I asked him that very question. And you know what his response was? What? Two words, be there. Hmm. He said to me, he said, you know, Dave, <clears throat> I've had friends who have come to my house and knocked on the door and I'll open it up and I'll invite them in. And they will look at me and say, no, I just came over to say hello. And I want you to know if you need anything, just give me a call. And they would say goodbye. And he said, I'd be standing at the door just dying inside because all I wanted him to do was come in and sit down and watch ESPN with me. Mm. They didn't have to say a word. All I wanted him to do was be there for me, be there with me. And, and, and often he would, and he would talk about, you know, I don't need fixed. I just need to know that somebody's there with me on the journey. And so I think the most important thing that I would say in relationship to that to start is be there. The second thing is a lesson that we learned from scripture, that all of us who understand the story of Job would be able to appreciate. You know, in the first seven days, Job's friends visited and they were silent. It was only when they began to talk that troubles stirred up. Well, Lesson number one in relationship to outside of being there is be a good listener. You know, the fewer words, the better. Because quite frankly, people aren't looking necessarily for answers as much as they are your presence. Again, your presence. But when you are there and you have the opportunity to speak, speaking should not be about trying to fix or make somebody feel better. Speaking can be simply about talking about the most mundane of things. Because in the reality of their story in the midst of where they're at, a lot of times they don't want to focus on their cancer. They don't want to focus on their affliction. They'd rather talk about what's going on on the TV and the sporting event that you're watching. They'd rather you ask questions about, you know, the, the normal stuff of life. And, and, and just to converse along those lines. 
And, and the reality that we've discovered is um, that those two things, uh, three things, and I know Jan would probably want to add to this, are some of the key steps that we've taken and learned in relationship to coming alongside people and offering comfort, encouragement, and hope. And, and love goes a long way. And your presence expresses love. Expresses love, but it also is important for you to empathize and validate whatever they're feeling. Mm. And that includes them being able to share the ugly along with the good, not for them to be able to put on a real face, a true face. Yeah. yeah. And for you to be accepting of that instead of and not respond to it, not try to fix it, but just validate it. Just being there and listening and validating, empathizing. I, yeah, I, and, and following up on that, I had a dear friend that invited me to go to the doctor because he was scared to death. He had given me a call and said, you know, I've, I've just been diagnosed with cancer and I don't want to die. And he said, I've got to go see the doctor in a week and I want to know if you'd come with me. And I said, yeah, I'd love to be there. And so I, Jan and I actually went with he and his wife and their daughter and Jan sat in the lobby and babysat the daughter. And I went into the office with his wife, he and his wife and the doctor. And, and I sat there, John, and I heard this man say things that most people would never have heard in their entire lives. And it was the nastiest stuff that you could, you could think of saying to a doctor when he's looking at you and trying to help you understand what you're going through with your mm -hmm. cancer. And that doctor was so gracious to mm -hmm. sit there and take every bit of what my friend had to say to him. His wife was behind him just in tears. And I was there in support of him keeping silent and through my silence, giving him permission to dump. This man needed to get this off his chest. Otherwise, it was going to kill him, not the cancer. He needed to have the, the, the safe place to express what was going on in the deepest recesses of his heart. And, and that moment taught me something in a significant way about giving people permission to be able to, to, to be whatever they want to be in that moment. And, and if it ain't pretty, that's okay. I hear the, I hear the, uh, talking about the depths of your spiritual experience and getting into the word and how God was there. And yet on the other hand, in coming alongside someone, we don't need to super spiritualize it. You're saying, just be there. You know, what Bible verse is that? <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah. It's just be there, love them, listen. Yeah. It's, it's practical and it's, it's spiritual at the same time. There's elements to this. That, I, that's what's running through my mind as you talk. Yeah, and, and we're dealing with humanity. We're dealing with our humanness. And, and, and if we don't have the permission to be human in a situation that is really scary with so many questions and uncertainty and butting up against the mort your, your mortality, then, then where do we have the space to be able to do that where we can actually, I, I think there's an element of that that is very healing in this process. Hmm. And hmm. for my friend and for others, let me just put it this way, John. We understand here at our ministry called Endurance with Jan and Dave Drabecki that a part of who we are in our description is a garbage dump. 
because we give people permission to dump all their trash and to question as much as they want about God and their situation and be loved in the midst of it. Dave and Jan Dravecki, just want to take a breath, don't you? Well, we're not done. But I do want to give you their website where there are a lot of resources, including a a care package that you can order free of charge for someone you know who's going through cancer. I want to send you there to endurance.org, endurance.org. We're going to have part two of this interview next week, which is just as good as what you've heard so far. And uh, man, we even go deeper. Uh, The book I referred to at the beginning is so powerful and that's part of the care package but you can go there and and get the book it's called do not lose heart meditations of encouragement and comfort i've had to reach back and it was behind me and find it and here it is Uh, but it has had an impact on my life and i encourage you to pick that up and you'll you'll see as you read how deep their walk with the lord is but also the pain they went through to get there um as you've heard the first part of this interview. As you reflect on Dave and Jan's words, uh, what's God laying on your heart? What's he laying on your heart? What Say the number one thing. It might be how important the word of God is when your world is crashing in. That was so clear. That was so clear in what they shared, whether it be through cancer or some other disease or something else. Or, or maybe is it what they said about being there for someone going through cancer. I mean, huh. I was all ears on that, and I was moved. The word listen, the word listen really hit me. I've got this, this picture. It's a five-by-seven that sits on my desk. Nuni gave this to me. She knew I really needed it. And it's a picture of this these huge letters sitting on a riverside, and it just says, listen, listen. And that was good advice. Well, however God's speaking to you as you listen to this interview, uh, talk to him about it. Spend time with the Lord. Don't just walk away, but spend time with God. Come to him and then follow through on what he says. Maybe you just need some time with the Lord as you've been moved by this interview. Uh, My time with Dave and Jan in the interview was so long that we're coming back next week for the rest of it, okay? I, I couldn't cut anything out. I mean, it was too good. So I've divided it into two weeks of programs here. And I invite you to join me next week and tell a friend to share this podcast uh, and invite them to listen next week as well, this one and next week. I asked some of our folks in our Fresh Faith 24-7 community to share about verses that they go to when they need comfort, verses they find helpful or passages when they need comfort. And one of our members said, Isaiah 61.1, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. Uh, he shared before that Isaiah 51.12. So this is, I, yes, I am the one who comforts you. So why are you afraid of mere humans who wither like the grass and disappear? So a couple of verses that he shares about comfort. And another member uh, went to Proverbs 3, 5 through 7. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. 
In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. There are so many verses in Scripture that deal with comfort. I think of the Psalms. Here we have some from Proverbs and Isaiah. What are your favorite verses or passages on comfort? Tell me when you write to me or you tweet me. I'd love to hear, and then I'll share it with our listeners. You can write to me at john at freshfaith247.com or tweet me at John Fugler. I'll have a link in the show notes. Our relationship with Jesus, it always goes back to that on this podcast. And again, I will just offer this free resource for you, the 21-Day Fresh Faith Experience. Go ahead and download it from my website, freshfaith247.com, or click the link in the show notes. It's free. It'll draw you to Jesus. Next week, we've got more with Dave and Jan Dravecki. We go deeper, and I look forward to talking to you then. God bless you this week.